What's up, bingers? We've got another great show for you this week. I'm joined by another fantastic guest. He is one of the co-hosts of the amazing True Crime Garage podcast, the man with no last name. He's Captain's best friend, the one and only Nick. And Nick is here today to talk about a fascinating and very topical case. We're going to be discussing the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, also known as the Delphi murders. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. All right, Nick, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. How are you, Bob? Uh, doing really well. I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me, and I'm super duper excited about the case that you've chosen to chat about, uh, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But uh, so for you listeners, for, for those of you that are crossover people that came from Truth and Justice, and now you're here on True Crime Binge, uh, you heard me talk about the Delphi case with Barb and Drew from the Down the Hill podcast. And I was obsessed with the case before that. I'm still obsessed with the case after that. And when I asked uh, Nick from True Crime Garage to come on, he wants to talk about it because he's equally obsessed with it. So I'm dying to dig even further into it. Uh, before we do that, Nick, I need you. So your your partner in crime, Captain, he told some stories about you. And oh. I want to see. I want to see if we can verify Captain was on the Truth and Justice episode during season nine, and he told us a story about how the podcast came to be, and he blames the True Crime Garage podcast 100% on you. Is that accurate? True Crime Garage blames it on me. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. That seems pretty accurate. It's one of those situations <laughs> where, uh, hey, look, you get all the credit, but you also take all the blame. And, right, right. Um, I, yeah, he, we had talked about doing a podcast for a good amount of time before actually doing it. it. And it was because we were listening to them and, and he and I always loved talk radio anyway. And we both have a music background. He, he much more than I do. Um, and he's gone to school for recording engineering and things like that. And uh, it was always something that as friends that we, we would joke around over drinks and say, yeah, that's something we could do. We could do that. That wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be too hard. Um, and then of course, you start doing it and it's much more difficult than you think. But anyway, the, the short of it is he was kind of kicking around ideas of, well, we have to have a topic. What are we going to talk about? And I kept shooting ideas down, shooting ideas down. And finally I told him, I said, I, I think, I think true crime is what we're going to talk about. And he said, well, why? He goes, that's, you know, I was always much more into it than he was. However, what I thought was really interesting was, he was living in Indiana and I was living in Columbus, Ohio. Uh -huh. And uh, we grew up super tight and we, we would have these phone conversations and they would generally, you know, could be long conversations because we wouldn't see each other hardly ever. But if we got on the topic of true crime, usually he would bring it up, something he had heard. And we would talk for an hour, hour and a half. And it was just, I thought, just fascinating conversations. So it seemed like a no brainer to me. Why not? Why not give this a shot? It's something that I'm knowledgeable about. It's something that he can jump in and, and talk about pretty, pretty well. So it, it kind of seemed, and then we started recording in my garage. So true crime garage, the name seems a little dumb <laughs> to, to people out there, but, <laughs> but I think it, it, it describes to a T everything that we were doing when we decided to do this. Right. And you guys just had an anniversary. I saw on social media, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, the day we're recording this, I believe yesterday on social media, there was uh, the throwback Thursday photos of you guys recording your first episode in the garage. Yeah, it must have been some kind of an anniversary that I'm just clueless to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the captain handles By the this social point. media, does he? Well, and we're coming up, you know, we've done over 400 episodes and so I'm, you know, I kind of got my sights on 500. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Right. Is, is 500 a landmark or is, or are you talking 500 when you hang it up? 
I think it's a landmark. I think I'm going to be shocked that we we made it that far. You know, 100 seemed big, and then 200, and now right. uh, we've we've been uh, uh, really at it for for a while. And 500 just seems like a like a milestone to me. It's something that look when we first started doing this, we didn't think anybody was going to listen to two idiots in a garage talking right. <laughs> about stuff that we're interested in. We didn't know everybody else yeah. was interested in it too, or would want to hear our thoughts or opinions. And so we've been we've been very lucky, and we got a great audience, and uh, it's great to uh, be able to interact with them, be it through our website or, or you know, when we do CrimeCon. Uh, and it's been great meeting people like you, Mister Ruff. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've had some great times, and this is, you know, this is not our first time talking on mic either. You know, you've right. you've been gracious and come on our show several times, and. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking West Memphis three with you, uh, mm-hmm. and I really had enjoyed and appreciated all the work you did on that case as well as other cases. Speaking of which, you should listen to um, the follow up that we just released today when we get off because I have an update on that, which I won't waste too much airtime here because it'll be old news when this airs. But uh, uh, you may want to check out the first 20 minutes of today's follow up. regarding. I will. Case. I will. So you said you have a, I knew Captain had a music background. What is, what is, what is your background? You mentioned you have a music background, but, but you know, where do you come from? Um, well, my music background is nowhere near. It's, it's almost silly to mention it in comparison to the his. Clarinet. Yeah. Yeah. The, the xylophone. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I played the maracas on several Steely Dan songs professionally. So, uh, I am a professional, professional musician. Now that's, that's a joke, but. Uh, no, growing up, uh, I played uh, uh, some stringed instruments, and um, at one point was a in a band with the captain for several years. We were in in two different bands over the course of about six years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a long time, and um, so we we had a lot of fun doing that. But uh, I mean, he's actually gone to school for for being a musician and things like that, where, where, uh-huh. yeah, I, I did a little bit of that in middle school and high school. And, um, uh, and then we, we had some fun with our hard rock, heavy metal band that we were in for, for some years together. Did you do any vocals or were you a guitar? What was your position in the band? I was the front man. Yeah. I was the, the front man. Yeah. Yep. Nice. With a guitar or just you and a microphone? No. So, Originally, I was the one that asked him to join the band. He was he was about a about two years younger than the rest of uh, of the guys that we were hanging out with. And I asked him, I said, "Hey, could would you join this band?" And he's like, "Eh, not really my thing." You know, he wasn't really much of a heavy metal guy. And right. I said, "I said, well, you have to." <laughs> he goes, "What do you mean I have right. to?" And I said, <laughs> "I said I've I've learned that uh, for, first of all I'm not a very good singer anyway so uh but but I said to him I remember saying to him I said I can't sing and play bass at the same time I mean uh-huh. that's extremely difficult and uh for me anyway and I said so uh I'm going to be the singer I need you to to join the band and play the bass take some pressure off of me so uh and you know he, he was the youngest guy in the band but very quickly the the most talented uh we 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 all noticed that he was the most talented amongst us god is there tell me there's video of this out there somewhere there has to be video of you as the front man and the captain on the base it's out there right so the the videos that i'm aware of thank god uh-huh. they're on vhs and i don't know that too many people these days know how to transfer that to to digital format um, i do uh i'll be I over know, i know I, I know there's i'm gonna get emails now from people uh <laughs> offering their their services and i'm look maybe when we reach episode 1000 we'll release uh the old the old tapes to the world <laughs> you know um in preparation for that so it, it's funny you mentioned that because i just i had to go to houston for a truth and justice case and just last week and i got uh i got called by the by the woman at the clerk's office and told me like there's in this case file there's a vhs tape i don't know what's on it i have no way of playing it <laughs> But if you want it, you gotta you've got to find a way to get it. So I had to go borrow a, a a VCR, which are hard to come by nowadays. By the way, right? I found somebody that had a working VCR. Then I bought some uh, hardware and some software, and I had to go. I had to fly my VCR with me down to Houston, and then <laughs> walk into the office with it under my arm, 
and copy this uh, copy this this video over. So you know, I've got everything. You know, before it degrades, we should get together, have a beer. We're not too far away from each other. I'll go ahead and copy all those videos, make them digital. You know, for you guys, I promise I won't do anything with them. Um, they they won't accidentally end up on my YouTube page or anything like that. They won't accidentally. No. Um, it's Bob, it's one of those things. Like it was one of the best experiences in my lifetime. Absolutely. Uh I mean, there was, I mean, I played all kinds of sports growing up, but I, nothing gave me a better thrill, a bigger thrill than, than being on stage, hanging out with the buddies, everything like that, putting music together. But it's also one of those things that, you know, we did that as, we started a lot of that as teenagers and Uh kind of when, when I departed from that, world was would be right around college age so as a as a as an adult now you kind of look back and you cringe a little bit uh because (laughs) right right? i mean i think that's natural but it's also it's also funny because if you get about five or six beers in me i start going man i don't understand why we didn't have a record deal (laughs) (laughs) how did we not make it big how how were we not huge (laughs) right and see, it's in those instances where you need to be able to just pull up those videos right on your phone and, and watch them. That's right. Go work on it. That's right. So, so you you went to college. What you, so what is your background? You you weren't a professional podcaster your whole life. This started what about five years ago? You guys started True Crime Garage. Yeah, 2015, late 2015. So just just over five years ago. So before that, what'd you do? You were you were, you went to high school. I assume you went to high school with the captain. Correct. How you guys were friends. Yep. Um, and you make a band. What what, what else happens between? Uh, um, I'm going to take a guess, just because I feel like we're close to the same age. You graduated what ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Oh, see, see, you're going. This is all personal stuff. I'm not. I don't like to do a lot of personal stuff. But okay, we'll peek behind the curtain a little bit. I was, <laughs> I was supposed to graduate in 1998 from high school. And, um, about two weeks before my junior year was over, they called me down to the office and I was thinking, oh, great. What, what's going on now? And, um, they said, uh, the, the counselor said, Hey, um, you can graduate as a junior if you want. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, because there was like a credit increase between my junior year and my senior Uh year. So, so at, at the end of my junior year, I qualified for the state requirements to graduate from high school uh, per mm-hmm. the, the required credits. He goes, you've achieved all the required credits you need. If you decide to take your senior year, you'll need, it was, I don't know if it was one credit or one and a half. It was something very uh-huh. small. And I said, oh, well, that's cool. I'll just come back next year and I'll take like, you know, one class. And he's like, you can't right. do that. He's like, state law requires you to be in school for, I don't know if it was four hours or five hours a day. Right. And I was like, okay, nine months of four or five hours a day or just be done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I missed my senior year. I, I ended up graduating as a junior in 1997. Ah, so we graduated the same year. We're the, there you except go. Except for you're smarter than me because you graduated a year early. No, pe- that's a that's a big misconception. A lot of people think that I'm like smart because I graduated as a junior. No, I'm probably dumber than half the guys that graduated in '98. Uh, and it was really one of those things, Bob. Like I was the kind of kid if I wasn't busy, I would end up in trouble. So uh-huh. I I never took a study hall. I always just right. took classes, and um, I did that to keep myself out of detention. And it ended up uh, with a ton of credits by the end of my junior year. That's awesome. So then did you in you went to college as like Doogie Hauser. You're you're younger than everybody, right? Well, yeah. Well, no, I I I took took a little bit of time off uh and and started late. And and I actually before well, while we were doing True Crime Garage uh towards the beginning of it anyway. Uh th- this is the boring adult stuff. I worked in property management for a very long time. I don't 15, 16 years. Um mm-hmm. Some of that did involve a, a portion of that was uh, about three and a half years where I was a security administrator for a high rise building in in downtown Columbus. So I have have a security background um, from that that angle, and I was a, a bartender for for a while as well. So, how long were you a bartender? Mm, about three years. Three years. I'm going to ask you a question. I've asked another one of our guests how to make this drink, who also was a bartender for a couple of years. How good are you at remembering how to make drinks? 
Um, there are like five or six that I can make in my sleep. And, and those are the, like the real popular drinks outside of that. I need a, I need a little recipe menu, uh, but I, I can, yeah, well, this so it's not complicated. Okay. Go for it. Do you remember how to make my favorite drink? If I'm not, I'm a big bourbon on the rocks guy, but if I'm getting, if I'm feeling a little saucy, when I go into a bar, I might order myself a, a Manhattan, like a Woodford reserve Manhattan up. See this, if this I ordered that. Could you make it? You so you order up? No, not on the rocks. No, if I get a Manhattan, it's up. Okay, so my go-to drink is a Manhattan on the rocks. So okay, if I were to make one for you and you don't want rocks, it's it's pretty simple. It's it's bourbon, sweet vermouth, and a couple of dashes of bitters. Now I like a little less sweet vermouth than most places, and I like a little more bitters than most places. Yeah, you know, samesies. Uh, but there's there's a, there's a key part of this. Is is when you mix it up? How are you mixing it? Once you get these this all into the chilled container, are you shaking or stirring? I get mine shaken uh, because I like. So I like the. Uh, we're getting pretty deep here. I like the way that the <laughs> the ice will bruise the alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. Is what you call that? And and to me, there's something magical that happens w- during that. <laughs> perfect point where where just the right amount of ice has melted into the bourbon it like super opens it up uh i i, I don't know i could i could drink bourbon on the rocks uh you know i shouldn't say every day we don't want to say that but uh, <laughs> right. uh but yeah i i i like a manhattan on the rocks uh uh one cherry i've noticed that like the really good cocktail places it seems to me like they nail the first Manhattan, and I don't know if they hit me with too much sweet vermouth on the second one. They get lazy. I think they get lazy. I find that most places I go, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, because th- you can tell the color is a little different. I'm right. Like, this one's a little darker, and that comes from the sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, generally, I got three places around here that they make a fantastic Manhattan. The first one, the second one, not as good as what I can make at home. Yeah, I have the I have the same issue. I'm a stirred guy. I get I get violently furious if they shake my man of course i'm i'm usually getting it up too but if they sh- if i if i get it back and it's like frothy the the bourbon's bruised it, it upsets me but i can respect that you enjoy it's not a mistake you just like it better that way I, yeah i like the way that the 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 ice would bruise the the alcohol and open it up but as a, a former bartender if somebody ordered it up i would assume to stir it uh that would be my assumption that i would make uh, but I, but I always tell anybody, you know, uh, anybody bartending, it's better to ask than to just, you know, you get some of these, these guys that are like, Oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm super right. bartender guy. <laughs> uh, no, just, just ask, you know, because, uh, when I would bartend, there'd be other guys and they'd be like, Oh, the proper way is, you know, the proper etiquette is this, the proper way is this. And I would always remind them, no, the, the proper way is to give the customer exactly what they want. Uh, regardless, right. regardless of, of how snobby you want to be about it, uh, right. at the end of the day, it's to make the customer happy. It's to make them want their second, third drink and make them a regular. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point. So, and you are, you're a bourbon on the rocks guy too, which is really my go-to. I don't, I actually rarely order Manhattan anymore. Um, what are, what are, what's your favorite go-to bourbon or do you have a, a selection of go-to bourbons if you're just drinking them on the rocks? So you're a little fancier than me because if I have a rule that if, you know, if somebody else is paying or if it's, you know, open bar somewhere, then, then I, I might get a little fancy with it. But if I'm getting a Manhattan, I'm fine with whatever, you know, Jim Beam, just any pretty standard bourbon because you're adding to it. You know, there's, right, right, right. to me, there's no point in top shelf liquor for, you know, a mixed drink when you're adding those extra notes in there. But, um, if I were to to just have a bourbon on the rocks, is which how I would have it. Uh, Blanton's is fantastic. Um, I really like, and I, and some of my bourbon buddies kind of they don't. I don't think they see eye to eye with me on this because they like Blanton's uh, and um, uh, Jefferson Reserve, very good. Mm-hmm. I like Four Roses Small Batch, the uh, single batch. I can't remember if they call it small batch or Ooh. single batch, but I haven't tried that one. 
Four Roses is fantastic. Give that one a shot. But but go go expensive on it. Get the uh get the small batch or the single barrel or whatever it's called. I just discovered a couple new ones recently. Have you tried Angel's Envy? No, I've actually not even heard of that one. I I was at a my wife and I went out to dinner the other day and I saw it and it looked fancy. Mm-hmm. And I and I actually had to do the thing which it, which you know really makes you feel like a piece of shit when you're like, "Hey, uh yeah, could I, could I get a actually how much is a glass of the Angel's Envy? <laughs> I hate, I, and I, I will never do that. But all as I was ordering, it occurred to me as like, shit, what if they pour that? And then they're like, that was $200. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. You didn't even know the price when you ordered. No, I had no idea. I just knew that it was, it was like, there was like the top shelf and they had it kind of <laughs> displayed. And I was like, oh, I want to try that. And I was like, wait a minute. I might want to hit the brakes on this. It was fifteen dollars for a glass, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but not terrible. Yeah, but I but I definitely had to ask on that one. But it's really good. It's like it's aged in like a in like a wine barrel instead of just your 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 traditional charred barrel. So it's mm-hmm. almost got a little bit of sweetness to it. And uh, and on the other, that's not super expensive. My brother for Christmas got me a bottle. Have you tried the the tin cup bourbon? The the captain had some of that over at his place. Uh, yes, I've tried that. It's pretty good. It's, it's um, smooth. Yeah, you know another one that's not very expensive that I really like is uh, Bullet. Bullet oh, yeah. bourbon. Yeah, Bullet's a good one. Yeah, pretty solid. Um, but yeah, I like Woodford Reserve. Um, that was my go-to for a, for a while. Um, another one that's not terribly expensive that I think is it's surpri- it's surprisingly good every time I have it is Maker's Mark. It, I mean, they know what they're doing. Maker's is a go-to for me because a lot of bars have it. Like like when we were, last time we were hanging out at CrimeCon. You know, if they don't have a lot of bourbons, if they got makers, makers is always going to be good. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with makers. So there you have it, listeners. These are uh, all the bourbons that you're going to want to check out. And uh, (laughs) I kind of forgot we were making a podcast and I was just chatting with you about bourbons. I'll tell you what, I usually have a Manhattan or a bourbon on on a Friday and we're here we are talking on a Friday and right. um, Yeah, I'm craving one right now. Thanks, I am too. Thanks to you, Mr. Ruff. <laughs> <laughs> Soon, this evening. Unfortunately, it's still morning here. I did have one le- uh, uh, little little side note for people. I am uh, I am I'm on the never mind. I'm not gonna. <laughs> okay. I'm on the wagon of quitting nicotine right now. Oh, and I'm and I for after you know like a lifetime of it. So I'm I'm like two days nicotine free. So I had the the very rare Thursday night uh, glass of bourbon last night. Just you know trying to trying to think about something besides. The nicotine, but uh, also a little bit of brain fog. Anyway, that little bit's extra for all of you guys. That bit's for free. Um, Good for you, man. Good for you. I'm one of those idiots that has, I've quit smoking multiple times. And I mean, mm -hmm. not for like, not like the two days or one week or two weeks. I mean, I've quit for six months, a year and a half, two years. And then, dude, then I pick it up again. Like, and then I'll smoke for six months and then I'll quit for six months. And, and I haven't right now, I've not had any nicotine at all for like two years now uh oh, but dude. but i'm one of those dudes that if i if i have one i'm right back right on back it. at it yeah i'm the exact same dude i so i i grew up in high school uh i chewed tobacco i was a i was a copenhagen guy and i chewed for years and years and years and i'd quit for six same thing quit for six months and then you know go fishing or something i'm like ah, i'm throwing a dip while i'm fishing and right back at it again and then like 10 years ago i took up smoking and that was, and then I I quit. Then I used the electronic cigarettes to quit smoking, and then was hooked on those. Mm-hmm. And then this latest round, which Mike and I uh, just broke this down the other day, is the worst. I had quit. We all had my wife, Mike, and I quit smoking all at the same time with electronic cigarettes. Right. And then we all quit the electronic cigarettes at the same time and went through the withdrawals and everything. Six months passed. And then 2017, one day it, it was oh no, it was almost a year. Mike and I are on the road investigating the West Memphis Three case, and out of nowhere, for no reason at all, we pulled into a gas station, and I came out and with a pack of Marlboros and lit up a cigarette. He's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Ah, we're on the road, couple of fellas, you know, just have myself." And then it since then, it's been since then that I have been on nicotine in one form or another until this week. See, my, my trouble spot is if I'm like on vacation, you know, where you're like mm-hmm. kind of stacking up back to back days of drinking and then, right, right. 
And then I'm like middle of my vacation, I'm like, oh, hand me one of those. And then turns into just have one while you're drinking. It's all over. Yeah. And then I oh, hate God. myself. Then I hate myself. <laughs> I'm so, I, I hate myself so bad right now, Nick. You can't even imagine. <laughs> because of the, you know, so you've been through the withdrawal, the nicotine withdrawals, and you know how that makes you feel. And, and I'm just like, why are you so goddamn stupid? Because I had already done this multiple times. Mm. And I'm doing it to myself again. Hey, if you can get past the first week, usually that's the toughest part. Yeah, yeah, I'll hang in there. You know, last question about your your personal life. And I don't know wh- why I don't know this, but are you uh you single guy, married guy, wife, kids? Uh married. Married children. Um one child. How old's that child? Uh it's my stepdaughter and she's grown. She's she's an adult. She's grown. Yeah. Oh, so you have no no l- little ones in the house. No little ones in the house. Oh. I only have 3 left in the house. <laughs> It's, uh, it's an amazing thing when, um, you know, as much as you love them, it's also a lot of fun when they move out. You, you, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. And then, but Bob, sometimes they move back in and then they move out again and then they move back in. Um, (laughs) oh yeah. I'm sure we got plenty of that. My oldest stepson is 20 and he's been out and back and out and back a couple of times. He's, he's doing well. Uh, but then I still have my. My oldest boy is about to turn 16 and, uh, my old, er, my stepdaughter just turned 15 and my youngest son next week turns 10. So I just got a, I've got all kinds of, that's why I drink and do nicotine. Right. You know, of course. <laughs> the, the Blame children, it on the kids. The children. <laughs> right. <laughs> you are literally killing dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Look what you're doing to me. Look at what you're doing. Dude, I ate two bowls of this secret time. I had two bowls of a cinnamon toast crunch this morning, which is so I don't eat that kind of food ever. But I'm the the nicotine withdrawal thing is like my body's my body's craving something, and I just keep throwing anything I can find <laughs> into my face hole, trying to <laughs> trying to satiate it. Be- Becky, my wife, walked out this morning. She's like, "What?" The fuck are you doing? And I'm sitting there <laughs> eating a giant bowl of fucking uh, uh, cinnamon toast crunch with me. Even the kids are like, "Dad, what what is happening to you?" <laughs> Don't judge. Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I'm, we're going to get into this case. I promise. All right, here we go. the The Delphi murders. Um, th- this is the murder of of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, uh, mm-hmm. respectively 13 and 14 years old. We're coming up on, this will be, what, four years, the anniversary? Yeah, so Libby and Abby were dropped off at the trail leading to the Monin High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana, on uh, February 13th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they never came home that night. And this case has been one that I'm sure, you know, your your audience is very intelligent, very dialed in, so I'm sure that most of your listeners are already very aware of this case. But it's been all over the news, and it's been, I think a lot of people really scratch their heads and say, why is this case still unsolved to this day? Coming up on four years, like you said, it's it's a rare case where we have a picture and a short video with audio of the perpetrator of the killer and here we are Mm -hmm. four years later you and i talking about it and i don't know that we know anything more today than we did that you know that first six months right it's interesting the police have actually done a good job i think i hope but but they've done a good job of keeping all the details to themselves not sharing it, which mm-hmm. is, you know, content creators like us, that's really frustrating because I want to know what the hell happened, but they have not shared it. Like, and I didn't really realize that until I started really digging into the case a couple months ago that like, we don't know, were they sexually assaulted? We don't know what was the actual manner of death, the injuries, you know, none of that stuff has been shared. We just kind of know where they were at, where they were found. And that's basically it. And for the longest time, we just... I remember when they put out the the sketch and the picture of the, of the guy on the bridge mm-hmm. and police said, this is the guy that killed them. Right. And I remember thinking, well, how do they know? Like that could just be some, and then, and then we find out later that, you know, they have a lot more 
than we know as far as like the video. They they do know for a fact that's the guy. Mm-hmm. Have have you seen just in the last couple of days? There's been released like three D some kind of three D rendering CGI of somehow some somebody has made like a three D rendered video of the attack on on Abby and Libby. Have you seen that online? No, I have not. Um, th- that's news to me. I'll I'll certainly check that out. But you're saying it's kind of a, a dramatization of what th- they believe happened. Yeah. It, well, it's still only those. You know, the police when they released the. Um, like just a couple steps to show the kind of the gate of the man okay. walking towards them. But the, it's a 3d rendering of that. Like it's a, like a three, four second video from what I've seen, but it's from t- it's behind and it actually shows it's like, it's like it's, it's, it's showing Abby and Libby in comparison to where he's at. So, and I don't know if this was, if this is from law enforcement or, but obviously it looks like they took reference points of, cause you see like, I think it's Libby holding the camera. And it's, you know, the, the angle that she would have been holding the camera from and where he was coming. It's, it's interesting. I haven't really looked into it much either. I just happened to see it come across, you know, social media in the last day or so. My, when I hear something like that, and I'm certainly intrigued, and I'm going to check it out, my first question I have is, who put this together? You know what I mean? Right. Um, if it's coming from Indiana State Police or the FBI or something, that holds a whole lot more weight than, sure. uh, you know, me or you putting it together on our, our computers. and Right. Because I think what what is problematic, but also maybe necessary, who knows? It's, it's really tough to say because we don't have all the answers in this case. But I do feel like this case in particular, because they've done such a good job, law enforcement, of withholding information and, and have held back so much information from the public, that it's left the public to fill in a lot of the blanks along the way. and Which has caused problems. It it has, uh, by law enforcement's own words, in this particular case, it has caused problems. So um, it's it's a very intriguing case, and I see why the 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 public is so captivated by it. I mean, just th- the start of it to begin with, it's it's incredibly tragic. It's a horrific case. I mean, some monster decided to to do this horrible act and to, to take two juvenile victims with them that day. And, you know, the, it's really one of those cases too, that, that for me, and I know for a lot of people out there, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And, and I've, I had, I was able to meet with some of the family members at a couple of the crime cons that, that you and I did. And I've been able to, uh, interview the sister and speak with her at length. And, um, so I, I actually have on my my wall over here. There's a, a newspaper clipping from a local newspaper uh, from Carroll County, Indiana, that says real big justice for the girls, and it has a picture of Libby and a picture of Abby, and it has uh, their date of birth and the date of their death, and it also has a picture of who is this man, which I you know I call Bridge Guy. Some people call him Bridge right. Guy, um, and it's the color photo of the man seen on the bridge wearing the blue coat. And we, we can't seem to decide or agree upon if he's wearing a hat or not, or if it, or if it's just the way his hair looks as he's looking down, cause he's not looking at their camera. And right. it also has a, uh, picture, the sketch, which is typically known as the second sketch that police released of, of what this individual may look like. Uh, this sketch has also been referred to as the younger perpetrator or the younger man sketch. And so for those that are a little unfamiliar with the case, as we said, these two young girls are dropped off that day. It's like a one thirty, one thirty-five in the afternoon. Libby's sister, Kelsey, is the, the young lady that I've spoke to. And she was the one that dropped them off that day. This was kind of a last minute thing. You know, right. hey, we want to go to to these trails. And for those that are unaware of the area, this Monon High Bridge is like an old abandoned railroad bridge. And when you see that thing, can you imagine that a train once would pass over that? No. I mean. Not at all. Have you been there? No, I've not physically been there. So just, I didn't mean to derail you and we'll get back into it, but this is the. As as we were getting ready, you know, launching our Zoom call today for this, all I was thinking was, you know, 
Delphi is about two and a half hours from me. It's got to be about that from you, right? How, do you know about how far it is? Yeah, so I've looked it up. It's it's a little over three hours for me, and I've I have considered going there. We should totally meet there. I would love to, dude. We should go there and and like I want to walk. All the crimes that I work that I investigate on Truth and Justice. One of the things I always do is like go physically go to the crime scene and try to put myself in the mind of the you know. There's decisions they're making right along the way, like. Why did they go down the hill here instead of here? Why did they approach here? Why did he take them and kill them here? And I just, I just want to see it. I want to, I want to physically do it. We should, we should go there sometime and, and get a bourbon at a local yep. bar and then go walk that trail or reverse order. But yeah. Um, yeah. seems the better <laughs> idea given the, tr- you know, it's a tall bridge. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this bridge, I believe that it's like 80 feet high yeah i've heard between 70 and 90 feet at parts. okay yeah um and but from my understanding and the way that this case is and, and a big reason why this case has become so popular in the media is the fact that they have video of the bridge guy and mm-hmm. this came about because at some point these girls were spooked by this guy enough and and this is uh, i'm throwing in a little opinion here because we don't know for certain but my opinion is, and it's been the opinion of the victims' families as well, that this guy must have spooked them, and that is why Libby decided, "Hey, I'm going to film this guy with my camera phone." And right. um, so the distance from it's what's been reported and what I've read is the distance from one side of the bridge to the other is about sixty-five feet. And you can okay. you can correct me if I if at any time I say I don't, anything. I don't know I don't know that seems shorter I, th- I was thinking longer but I don't know I didn't I've never actually read about it and it, it may be a little further may, I'm going off of memory here Bob maybe uh, 65 feet is believed to be the distance between Bridge Guy and Libby who's filming Bridge Guy mm-hmm. but regardless 65 feet does not take very long for one to to traverse so. Right. At some point, they decide that this guy is creepy enough that they want to capture an image of him on their camera. And we have Libby's grandfather who has said, you know, this is not terribly surprising to us. We really believe that this dude must have creeped them out somehow. She decides to film him probably with the idea of, oh, later I'll show uh, grandma and grandpa, hey, check out this weird dude that we saw at the park or this weird mm-hmm. dude that uh, we thought maybe he was following us and they would have a laugh about it. And do you, do you I hate, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I'm curious. Do you think that that was the purpose of the video? Cause I have an opinion on that too. So one thing about this case, there's been a lot of rumors and, and you don't know if they're completely made up or if they've been leaked out. Mm-hmm. And one of the rumors is so the families and some there are some truths and some facts in here, and I'll try to clarify as I go along. But one fact that we know is that family members were were shown and listened to a little over two minutes of audio where us in the general public, we've only heard that very short snippet of guys down the hill. And when they first right. released it, it was just down the hill. And then later they released guys down the hill. And to me, the guys down the hill, I actually think that it's clipped and, and pieced together. I think I that there's something between the guys and down the hill. I, and what I think what is missing is the girls, one of the girls is saying something at that point. And, and they've chosen to, to cut that out because we, the public, we don't need that. That doesn't help their investigation at all uh, for us to hear any of the girls. Now, I was able to find what I believe to be a transcript of that portion of the audio. And if it, if it is to be correct, what I saw is, um, it's, it's my understanding that if this is correct, that one of the girls was terrified enough that she was not speaking to the bridge guy, that she would speak to her friend but not to bridge guy. Mm -hmm. And one of them was 
was, you know, kind of acting or speaking on, on the behalf of both of them. And so one thing we know to be fact is that the family members did listen to a little more than two minutes worth of audio. So they have, they have more audio than what we've been shown. Right. However, everything I've heard is that there's very little of use of anything of use on the rest of that audio. And, and I mean, there's some other rumors and thoughts of what, what was heard on there. But one thing that's been reported is that one of the first pieces of audio that you hear is they're referencing bridge guy as that creepy guy. Oh, okay. And, and that's, you know, there's most of it's un you know, it, it's, it's audio that you can't do anything with because it's not a lot of dialogue. It's not a lot of dialogue. Right. It's a lot of, uh, what you hear, uh, kind of in the background on the guys down the hill portion where it sounds like leaves rustling, or maybe the, the, the phone is in someone's pocket, uh, and picking up that kind of noise. But that's what, I, that's what I think. I think that she was so, I, I don't think that it was, it was, you know, Hey, look at this creepy guy. I feel like the video started because they actually saw him as a threat yeah. and that they started videoing it. And then I think it seems as you, as you piece all this together, like you're saying, it seems that like that she, once he got close enough, she put her phone in her pocket, but kept it recording, uh, you know, didn't stop the recording. And I wonder like, was that, I feel like that, that, that was like foresight on her part. Like, you know, obviously not, she's not thinking she's going to be murdered, but she knows something's happening. Right. And, leaves it recording and i think yeah so the audio i'm sure that exists is a lot of you know the sound of a phone in a pocket and there's no video because the phone's in her pocket and obviously the killer doesn't know the phones or they would have taken it you know so i think that she was able to get a quick video and stuff it in her pocket well and you can also think about how this would go down so if libby's holding up her phone and you know some of the things that we know to be fact is we do have a picture of abby who is, she's walking across the Monin High Bridge. We have that picture. That picture uh-huh. is is released on uh, Libby's Snapchat, I believe, at like 2.07 p.m. So right. they're dropped off at 1.35. About a half hour later, they're crossing the bridge, and she's taking a picture to capture that moment, capture that mm-hmm. memory, and post it. And uh, so the Monin High Bridge is kind of, it's one of those things where this is an area where teenagers would go and kind of hang out. Uh, but you also right. have adults that would walk the trails. It's a, it's a trail system basically. And it, mm-hmm. the, the prize of the, of the trail system there is that old abandoned railroad bridge. Now I'm guessing they probably do not recommend that people go across it. Cause it, I mean, one slip it and it's yeah. lights out, man. I mean, you're, that's you're, you're a, talking about a tall bridge with, you know, like railroad ties that are, I don't know, six inches a foot in between them, you know, with gaps between them. It's going over water. Um, yeah. So what we see here is, you know, she's got to be holding up that phone to capture bridge guy's image on that right. video. But what we see in the video is, and this is why we can't tell if bridge guy's wearing a hat or if it's just his hair, because it's, it's a grainy video taken from 65 feet away. Mm-hmm. And What's he doing? He's looking down, not to hide himself from her camera. He's looking down to make sure he doesn't trip uh, right. going across these railroad, you know, ties. And I think that personally, I think that uh, that there's there's only two reasons why he would have creeped them out. That he was either someone that they they passed along their way to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Either he said something or looked at him weird or whatever because. There's, there's basically, you can say one route to get to the bridge, but there is a, a little part that the trail that kind of comes off the one end there. Um, mm-hmm. So he could have been back there and, and not cross paths with them before they got to the bridge. But I think one of two things happened. Either A, they passed him on their way to the bridge and he, he kind of creeped him out for whatever reason. And then they see him again on the bridge or he started following them. At some point, the other thing, though, too, he could have been like a deer hunter. He could have been sitting somewhere waiting for what he's looking for to cross that bridge. 
and I've said this a lot because I feel like it's a very strategic move on his part, whether he was watching and waiting off to the side somewhere, or if he passed them on a trail, they became at a very big disadvantage once they got to the other side of that bridge. Once they got even halfway across the bridge, right? because they now flee quickly. If, if you're afraid of this dude, you have two options. Once you get to the other side of that bridge, there's a lot of activity on the one side of the bridge where bridge guy came from and where the girls came from on the side that they're going to, there's not people over there that, that right. becomes private property almost immediately. There's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a rite of passage in, in that town where people, when you're a teenager, you dare your friend to cross the bridge or, oh, you've never crossed the bridge. I've done it before. Let's go do it. And, right. but I've talked to people from Delphi and they've all told me the same thing. Even if it's your first time or your 10th time, when you get to the other side of that bridge, you turn right around and come right back. You don't, there's nothing over there. Nobody does anything on the other side of that bridge. Uh, and if they do, it's very uncommon. So, um, once they get to that side of the bridge, 65 feet away from bridge guy, from the killer, they have two options. Do we sit here on this side of the bridge on the private land side and wait for this creep that, that we're already spooked out about to get to the side with us? Or Mm -hmm. do we cross him on this little narrow bridge to get back to the other side? Right. They're at a huge distance. He almost has them cornered, even though there's nothing but open land on that side. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is an organized defender that planned this. I think he planned the the kill site. I think I I think what probably creeped him out is I do believe, and this is just uh, you know this is a hundred percent just my opinion, right? But it seems to me when look, and that's why I want to go walk the crime scene because it seems to me that for them to film it, that maybe he was waiting posted up on the side they came from, right? And they see this creepy weird guy there. He waits until they get halfway across the bridge and then starts following them. And they're like, they're walking into this trap that you, as you said, you know, that once they get over there, they're screwed. And I think they get to the other side and he's coming and they're kind of trapped over there. And that's when the camera turns on. But then once he gets them over there, I don't know what your thoughts are. I was, you know, when they come out with the second sketch later, a year later, and then they, they say they're asking about a car that was parked at the abandoned CPS building which is way to the northwest of kind of the, the actual crime scene. Right. To me, it seems like based on trapping them there, taking them down the hill across the creek where they were actually killed is right below that cemetery. And and speaking to people who have been there, it seems that you could drive a car to the back end of that cemetery. And you, park absolutely and you, can. you absolutely can. You absolutely can't can. see it from the road. Right. And so that's, it, it confused me. The police, like the, to me, you know, trying to put my, myself in the mind of the sick killer, if this is what you're going there to do, you go and you park at the back of that cemetery, you have your kill site set up, you go to the other side of the bridge, wait till you get somebody trapped, and I believe there has to be a weapon. I don't know how you control two girls without a weapon. You know, one maybe with a threat, but not two, and you and they just funnel them right down to the area you've got set up and then up to your car and out of there. So you're exactly right. And when I view this thing on a map and, you know, having not been there, that's the next best thing. Check it out uh-huh. on a map. And I'm, I'm with you, Bob, any case that we've looked at, if I, if I have the ability to do so, because we cover cases out of the state of Ohio all the time, but right. local cases, Columbus, uh, Franklin County, Delaware County, uh, any cases that, that are, you know, in, in Ohio that we cover. I drive to the place and I try to walk it. It, it. it just puts a whole different perspective on everything. You're able to visualize things. You're able to have a better understanding of the way that things went down and, the, and some of the difficulties, the obstacles that might have been involved. With this case, you see and you look at it on a map, if the trailhead is where they would have been dropped off by uh, Kelsey. Right. and the problem for the perpetrator is that's where everybody goes. That's where everybody parks. That's where everybody enters the trail system. That's where right. everybody exits the trail system. That's where he, his vehicle are going to be noticed and remembered. And he's going there to kill, kill or kidnap one of the right. two. 
and, and, and I will not be talked out of any of that. I've seen people online that are like, oh, he happened to just, no, he didn't just no, impulsively no decide I'm going to, to try to control two victims. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like he was sitting there. And a lot of times these killers will do this. It's like going to a grocery store for you and I, where you're picking right. out your, your, your product. I think he sat there watching and waiting. And maybe this wasn't the first day that he sat there watching and waiting. He was looking for something. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that for whatever reason, he decided to move on these two girls. And I didn't, I didn't get to number two. I said one of two things of what would trigger her to film. Either they passed him, found him to be creepy, or if he was waiting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Th- can you imagine this? You're, you're 12, 13-year-old girl. You're on the other side of the bridge. Now, uh, Abby has never crossed that bridge before. That was the first right. day she's ever crossed the bridge. We know that Libby is looking back to take pictures of her friend to capture that moment and that memory and, and tweet right. it out or you know put it out on Snapchat. So she happens to be looking back. That's where she's going to see this man by himself, grown ass man by himself. You're a 12 year old girl. You're, I would be instantly creeped out. You know, what's this dude doing in the park by himself? He's not wearing a jogging outfit or anything like that. Um, and then I think what, what may have triggered the filming portion is once he gets to the bridge. Okay. That's one thing you see, you see this creep. He's by himself spooks you a little bit. Now, once he gets to the bridge, you're spooked a little more. He gets onto the bridge, heightens everything even more. And I think he was probably moving rather quickly across the bridge at a pace that they were uncomfortable with. He wants to zero in on them, move in on them fast. And I think, I think what you said is is spot on. This was a lot of strategy, a lot of thought put into this. Uh, This is a meticulous planner and these people that plan out these horrific types of crimes a big portion of the planning is to make sure one whatever fantasy or whatever they're trying to achieve does not fail first of all and then second of all don't get caught act out fantasy is the first goal don't get caught Mm -hmm. is the second goal and they'll spend a lot of time planning on how I can I can achieve my fantasy or get close to it because they never do. That's why they often reoffend. Serial offend, right? But uh and then it's not to get caught. And I think you're right. I think park near the back of that graveyard. So you don't have mm-hmm. to be seen going in and out at the trail hill. At right. the tra- trailhead, I'm sorry. And um you could you could get to that location from that area and you're you're almost taking the back door in if you if if you would but um right yeah and then he we know we know th- th- and this is where you got to let your mind wander but but you're you're not just doing this haphazardly you can fill in some of these blanks by applying things that we know to be fact so guys down the hill he's directing right. them he's controlling he's just attempting to control their movements he has we can't say if he's attempting to move them to a kill site, attack site, or a vehicle to remove them from the area. We don't know that. But what we do know is he has already decided before he approached these girls that he's going to direct them to a location that he's already thought about. And I sure. I like the theory. The theory that I like the best is that I think he was, I don't think his intention was to kill them there in that spot. I think. I think murder was was probably on the menu for this guy, but mm-hmm. I've always kind of thought that maybe he was trying to remove them to kidnap from that area. A lot of times, you know, and there's no nice way to put this, and so I I hope and pray that that, that family and friends are not listening to this uh, because it, it just I mean it makes me feel guilty and it breaks my heart, but. A lot of times what these offenders want to do, this type of perpetrator wants to do, they want to spend a decent amount of time with the victim. And this would not be the ideal location to do so. There are people traveling that bridge. There are people walking those trails, um, some, you know, just for recreational purposes. So whatever it was that he set out to do, I don't think that he wanted to do it there. I think that something happened. I think that he had a hard time controlling the girls. I think that there, there, 
I think that their bravery did not stop with the filming of Bridge Guy. I think they made this difficult on this dude. And I think he he lost his composure or or he panicked. And and this was this was the the, the sad result. It's just it's just so hard to know without having any details of the crime scene and you know and 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 what all went down, you know, because you know it's a very different thing if it's Oh, their bodies are found, and they're both beat over the head with a rock. Right. Then, then you know, it it tends to lean more towards what you're saying. Or if you know they were, you know, again, this is brutal, awful to think about. And but you know, if if they're, you know, their clothing's removed and they're and they're bound in some way and sexually assaulted, and there would be elements of the crime scene that indicate that maybe that's the nest that he had set up to do all those things that it was, but you know, without knowing what exactly went down there, it's hard, it's hard to make that determination. And and then the other part of it is again, for me, I like to see like you, I want to see the crime. I want to walk, you know, I, I, in the Anand Syed case, when I was working on that in season one of truth and justice, I never understood why Heyman Lee was buried where she was buried. Didn't make sense. Okay. I looked at it on a map. They talk about this leak in park where, where she was, where she was buried, but it's not really a park. There's a road that drives. There's not much space there until I went to Baltimore and got in a vehicle and drove down that road. And then it was like, Oh, there's houses, there's lights, there's stuff. And there's, and then when you turn this corner, if you're coming from this way, that is the first place where one, you can get off the road and two, get to a place where it's dark enough to do something like that. And then it's like, ding, that's why it wasn't pre, that one wasn't premeditated. It was just, I got to find somewhere. There's the place. Right. And that's what I want to do with, I want to walk down that hill, you know, go down the hill and see, okay, why did he choose to go here? What did this area look like? Were they on their way back up a hill or were they like in a, you know, I, I, I really, I'm serious about that. We should definitely, we have to wrap this up here pretty soon, but. We should go there, and we should, and we should, we should do a follow up either on True Crime uh, Garage or Binge, and uh, do a follow up after going and walking the actual crime scene. I think, I think that's one hundred percent. We should do that, and I, and you know, you're you're absolutely right too. So you you have to think of the goal for the offender and and how he is going to achieve the goal, and and you go well maybe. Maybe he got lucky. Maybe he didn't put any thought into it. No, he he's not been caught. The guy we have his right. picture, we have his voice, and it, we still have not caught this guy. So he put some thought into this, and right in a small town, no less, in an area where you have to have knowledge of these trail system to do what he did in a small town, and somehow still hasn't been caught. So yeah, to say this is a dumb guy is not accurate. No, and and I think you know these guys. First of all, they have to go to a place where they know they're going to be able to find a victim. Right. You know, so, uh, you know, shopping malls, um, places, uh, public places are, are where these guys have to go to find their victim. Okay. So this guy's thinking about this. This is what he wants to do. This trail system will be great. There's people that go there for recreational purposes, walk a dog, go jogging. Uh, what, what I find to be interesting here is, I think he was there for a while that day. I don't think it was his first day there. I don't think it was his first day there looking for a victim. He saw people by themselves and he passed on them for whatever reason. And I I can't wrap my head around that, but there's a lot of planning that goes into this one. He's thinking at first, this is the perfect place for me to find my victim. You go there. What do you learn real quick? Well, I can't just take someone off the trail. Because if I do that, there I have to go past other people that will be on the trail with with the victim in tow. Right. And I think you're absolutely right. This is he decided that I need somebody that's on that bridge. I need somebody that is on the other side of that bridge because once I get over there with them, if I struggle or have have trouble controlling the situation, there's not other people over there to to see me. To, to witness what is going on. And very quickly, you can move them down the hill. And you know, within seconds, you, even if somebody does go across the bridge, you're already out of sight. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you get out of, out of sight from anybody on that bridge really quickly. So I, I am, Nick, I'm, this is fascinating. I'm coming up on, on a hard out. I got to go pick up my kid. 
we need to follow up on this. Um, definitely want to have you, you back on the show sometime. And uh, we really, I, I let's let's get together and let's go to Delphi and check this out. And we, because you know what's real frustrating about this is I'm so obsessed with solving this case and finding justice for Abby and Libby. And I just want to, you know, I do what I do. You know, I, I make these podcasts, I do these crowdsourcing, and then it, investigations. But it's like, God, there's already there's already people doing that. There's all these research. There's nothing you can get. The police. I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I find myself frustrated, wanting to do something, and that just feels like at least is doing something. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely want to do that, and, and I want to throw in uh, just two pieces of information because i know we we did a lot of reckless speculation ourselves here but uh-huh. i i like to try to clear up some things that that are obvious obviously wrong with with okay. discussions about the case and one is you know people point out that the date when you when you look at someone's birthday and their the day that they died libby and abby have two different dates listed as the day that they died and a lot of people point out that Oh, that means that law enforcement knows that one was killed the night that they went missing and the other one was killed sometime after midnight because they weren't found until around noon or so the next day. That does not point right. that out. That does that's not what that means. In most states in this great country, you can choose uh, the the parent or the next of kin can choose when it's not known when the person died. You can choose and you can pick between when they went missing or when they were found. And I think it's just it's just simply a situation where for whatever reason the parents of one girl chose the date that they went missing, the other parents chose the date that they were found. And so that's okay, not that's proof of yeah, that's not proof of anything. It's just mm-hmm. it, it's just happened. It's like John Benet Ramsey, right? Right. Her, uh they go, "Oh, well, law enforcement knows that she was killed on this day even though it was a crime that happened overnight." No, it's just the date that her parents chose to put on on the, the grave on the uh, yeah, on the tombstone. So, that's one thing that I that I like to clear up. And the other thing too that's a big misconception is law enforcement has not released a whole lot of information as we've we've discussed already. However, one thing that they have said is the girls were killed where they were found. Right. The girls were killed where they were found. And there's a lot of rumor out there that maybe they were removed or that they were killed elsewhere and brought back. I don't know how it could be any more clear. They were killed right. where they were found. Um, were they were they found in the nude? Were they found fully clothed? The other were they wearing each other's clothing? Uh, we know from the radio calls and from witness statements that they would have at least been partially uh undressed or or partially clothed however you want to look at it because we do know find some clothes first right they found some articles of clothing first so um that's another thing that we we can clear up but yeah bob i'm with you i and i know the captain would love the adventure as well i think we go out to delphi we walk the ground we talk to who i would love to sit in a diner and and hear what the local scuttlebutt is on this thing too um because i really feel that law enforcement has spoke to bridge guy. I think that there's, I agree with you. I think that there's a problem with the case. And I think what the problem is, and I've said this on true crime garage, we've covered the case seven different episodes for an hour long. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with the case is I think somebody has provided a false alibi for bridge guy. And that's where the disconnect is between law enforcement being able to hone in on this dude. And that is also why I think we might have two sketches. I think that that yeah. it's potentially that one of the guys, because they look like different people to me. Sure. Yeah. One looks much older. Yeah. And I, I just wonder, is Guy in Sketch 1 providing a false alibi for Guy in Sketch 2 or the reverse of that? I think I think somebody knows who did this, and I think they're, for whatever reason, they're providing a false alibi. For bridge guy and until we get past that i mean i i don't know my heart breaks for the for the families of these victims this is a horrific crime one of the most horrific crimes i can think of in in the recent years and um you know i just hope and pray that this sooner than later you and i are having a much different discussion about this case i sure hope so and uh with that being said that's nick he is one of the hosts of the true crime garage podcast along with his co-host captain uh, they have seven episodes on the Delphi case to check out. 
Um, so check them out. They could be your next big true crime binge. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.